Greetings from the Long Island Sound podcast. Welcome to the show. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. And call our listener line and leave a message for our guests. Dial 631-800-3579. All right, enjoy the show. Thanks for joining us for the Long Island Sound podcast. Each week we explore new music and dive deeper with the artists and their stories behind the music. Please subscribe and rate and review us wherever you stream this podcast. Here's your host, Steve Yusko. Today is your day to meet Jeannie Fry. Jeannie's a singer-songwriter from Brooklyn, a great storyteller and performer with two projects, her band My Little Eye and her solo project Embarazada. You'll enjoy Jeannie's backstory as well as her music. Let's listen to her song, Remote Control.
Jeannie Fry hails from Brooklyn and put rock into her indie rock band, My Little Eye, which came into being during COVID quarantine. A singer-songwriter with a grunge edge, I look forward to a deeper dive into her music as we get to know the artist behind each song. Hey, welcome to the Long Island Sound Podcast, Jeannie. Good to have you. Thanks so much, Steve, for having me. I tell you, it's you know, it's funny. I, I always get like these first impressions. And what I loved about listening to the music, what hit me, I'm a big Neil Young fan. And I'm like, oh, this is Neil Young grunge. You know, I could feel it in, in, in the vibe that I'm getting from, from uh, the music. But let's do this. Let's roll back to how you became a, a writer, a musician. How did, how did things develop for you? And, and when did they develop for you? So I've always been pretty obsessed with music. Both my grandmother and my grandfather were performers. And I used to sing along in the station wagon with my brothers and sisters. And I always would single out the harmonies to take. Um, But when I was a teenager, I started going to this punk rock club in Connecticut called the Anthrax. And every weekend I would go and see all these underground bands. And this music was more immediate. Um, It wasn't like Mm. going to Madison Square Garden and seeing a big rock band where you were not necessarily noticed or or felt a part of the show. You felt more a part of the audience. And then the punk shows were so vital. And uh, I used to see a girl there. There there weren't that many girls. It was mostly guys there. And I found out that the guys that would go to the punk shows were calling the girls coat hangers because they would come in, hand their girlfriends their coats and they'd go jump in the pit. And <laughs> I was like, I want to be part of the action. I don't want to be a coat hanger. So yeah. uh, this other girl that I kept seeing every week, she came up to me and she was like, Hey, I heard you play bass, which at the time I, I owned a bass, but I didn't, play it. I I would try, but I wasn't very good. And I thought I better just say yes, because she's like, do you want to be in my band? And I was like, yeah, uh, I want to be in your band, of course. And we were still living with our parents. We were teenagers and she came over to my house for a practice and she started teaching me one of her own original songs. And I was trying to play along and I said, do you mind if we play a slower song first? And she was like, this is the slowest song I have. And I was like, oh my gosh, I better get up to speed. And so right, I just right. practiced all the time until I was good enough to be in the band. And that band was an all-girl punk band called Bad Hair from Connecticut. Nice. You know, you know what's cool about what you're talking about? I, it's interesting that when you, you talk about the punk, the punk music and really kind of being intertwined in the community and you know, there's a kind of a melding between the stage and the audience as opposed to going to, quote, a big show. So what that that tells me is like when you have that interconnection, it's like it can really develop. I can do that or I want to do that. And it seems like a good entry point into music. And I, what I love the fact is that an opportunity is right in front of you and you gra- and you grabbed it. You know, things could have yeah, gone I really had to lie. <laughs> right, right. So now you got this motivation to go. Oh crap! Now I got to really earn my uh, uh, woodshed this uh, base to to come up Step to up speed. My game. Yeah, <laughs> a- absolutely. And you know what? With with uh, and, and this is just kind of a weird circumstance for me. I've interviewed a few um, uh, guys 
who have been in the punk uh, era uh, in New York City. And, and now they're off into different genres, which is interesting. And it just kind of blew my mind. You know, one guy was from uh, rural North Carolina and he was into punk music and he came to New York City because of that. And I was like, wow, what a great, what a great entry point for that, you know. And, and what comes to mind, I think about David Grohl uh, of the Foo Fighters, who uh, is like, you know, the garage bands and, and just freaking doing it is music, you know, it just, it, you need I that entry I actually met point. David Grohl. Oh, come on. Really? I met him when I, because of this punk scene, this um, club I was going to in Connecticut, uh-huh. there was a Connecticut, like, Harold heralded this band 76% Uncertain, and they were friends with my boyfriend at the time, and he was like, they're going to Canada to play a show in Montreal. Why don't you come? I'm going to go with them. And I went and it was when Dave Grohl was still in a band called Scream. And oh, wow. um, I can't remember the order of who was headlining or not. But afterwards, we were all backstage hanging out. And I remember one of the guys from 76 saying, what a nice guy that Dave Grohl is. He's like, he's feeling insecure about his playing. And we were just trying to boost him up you know he was really young at the time but uh i'm sure he would never remember that but it was really cool later on to see him get famous and get everything he wanted out of music yeah he's 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 a he approaches things pretty honestly i remember watching an interview with him where he was really kind of down on the uh you know the american scott talent and american idol and these these whole you know shows that can push people, I, w- I would think, push people away from ex- uh, expressing their music and their art, you know, where, hey, you got something to say and sing, you know, just do it. Just just get out there and do it, you know, which I think is is yeah. interesting, you know. So, so now you've got this early entry. Because a lot of times what we like had- about music is mm-hmm. the intimacy and not the professionalism, you know. Yeah, I, I agree. I think. I, I think the, as I look back at the artists that I really appreciate from a lot of different genres, you hit on a word, intimacy, and for me, transparency. When somebody really exposes their heart and their music, whether they're pissed off, happy, in love, sad, or whatever, but it's something that I can strike, this is a bad pun, a chord to, uh, I kind of say, you know what, they're singing for me uh, in, in something that I might not be able to express, and that's what I love about music, you know. Uh, and that's what I appreciate about all genres, you know, of, hey, you know what? Um, this may not be what you grew up with, but this is something that comes from the street, so to speak, and from from the common man and woman out there. And, and this is how we're expressing ourselves. I mean, I look at the Ramones that way. I saw you guys, uh, you had done a cover of the Ramones. Um, I don't want to go home, I think it was, right? I don't want to go down to the basement. I don't want to go down to the basement. That was that first band I was telling you about, the all-girl band. (laughs) It's great. And the Ramones caught me. I mean, if you looked at the Ramones early in their life, they they were horrible players when it came as far as musicians, you know. (laughs) But they didn't give a shit. They just went out and and they did it. And and then they had a following, you know. Yeah, I was one of the few people in my group of friends that didn't really care for them until I went mm-hmm. to see them live. And then I was like, oh, okay, I get it. This is amazing. You know, like you what, really what, so connected to them. What struck you is, is, I apologize, I jumped on your words there. What, what, 
struck you differently from hearing them and then seeing them live? What was, what was the thing that kind of changed your mind? Well, you know, I, I appreciated that they had a sense of humor. Their, their lyrics are funny a lot of times. And, and I thought that's all my friends were seeing. And I never really like joke music because music was so important to me. Um, and I would listen to the records and I'd be like, yeah, in the, the hierarchy of what I like, this isn't the favorite thing, but I understand what my friends like about it. But when I went to see them live, first of all, their live performance was so great, so energetic. It just hit you like a, like a wave, the sound. Okay. And I loved that. And second of all, you felt like if you were a misfit, like most punks were back then, you know, you sure, felt like sure. you belonged to something. They were misfits too. They were the champions of misfits. <laughs> That's great. The champions of misfit toys, as I think of the uh, Rudolph the Red, Red, Red Nose Reindeer. <laughs> yes. The misfit of rock music. So uh, that was a weird left turn, but <laughs> so so now you're in this uh, you're in this band. You, you've you've picked up the bass and you're woodshedding it. I assume to do the faster songs, as they say. Where did it go from there with you with your career? Well, I always loved singing and I did get a little better at playing bass, but I never could manage to sing and play at the same time with the emotion that I wanted to. So with okay. the next band I was in with had a lot of the same lineup, but there were two singers and I didn't play any instrument and me and Susan Hertuck, she is the other singer, we would harmonize either harmonize or do counter melodies to every song that we had. Okay. But she would write the lyrics. And at that time I still didn't think I could write lyrics. I just didn't think I would be able to for some reason. And then one day she encouraged me. She, Susan said, how come you don't write any of the songs? I would add lines here and there while she was writing. Mm -hmm. Cause we'd be in the same room, but I said, Oh, I, I can't, I can't. And she said, but you're always writing in your notebook. And I said, those are just poems. They're not songs. And she said, well, let me see the notebook. And she found one of my poems called School of Minuscule, which was about being made to feel small in high school. Sure. And the lyrics were, I graduated from the School of Minuscule. I learned how to be small and that's all. And she was like, this is a song. And I was like, that's a great what line. Do you mean? And she fit it. To thank you, <laughs> she fit it to the music that our guitar player Nina Kyle had written, and uh, and then it gave me a little bit of confidence. We would sing that song. She she made the whole thing into a song, and I would just do the harmonies on it. But then when that band disbanded, it was a couple of years before I ever played again because I didn't think that I could do it without mm -hmm. those girls. And sure. Um, just a regular kid from the neighborhood asked me to join his band and I agreed the same exact thing, not thinking that I would be able to. I, I, it just made me in a good mood to say, of course I'll sing for your band sure, because right. he thought of me as a singer before I did. <laughs> and nice. then the guitar player of that band was a girl also, which made me feel more comfortable. And she came over and I just showed her something I've been working on and we clicked immediately. We, we mm -hmm. were just 
up and running. And I was like, now I have to think of lyrics. So I don't know. I didn't really feel confident at first, but every time I wrote anything, they were like, this is great. This is great. So it really helped me feel confident that I could do it. I, I tell you, I think it's amazing. The thing, things that I'm hearing, I've heard from other people are, are two key things, acting on opportunity and being in an environment of encouragement, whether you're providing that encouragement or you're getting cajoled a little bit in the direction to, to have that confidence and guess, guess what? Every creative out there that I've interviewed has doesn't think anything was done perfect or whatever and has that little bit of anxiety. But it's I tell you, it's really neat when somebody else hears you uh, in different capacities, whether it's your instrument or your voice or your lyrics, and they say, hey, I really like that. I mean, the line is great. You know, I come from the school of minuscule. I'm like, man, there's so many places you can go with it. And I, I, I think all us misfits, which – the majority of the world are misfits, right? Uh, can can relate to that, and uh, that's that's the power and, and the beauty of music. Hey, why don't we do this? Let's just take a short break, and we come back. I want to talk about the song that our audience heard uh, on the intro. So hang with us. We'll be right back with Jeannie Fry. At the Long Island Sound, we're much more than a podcast. We're building a community. Please go to gigdestiny.com, check out all our social media links, subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast, please comment, call the listener line, tell us what you think, what questions we should ask, who we should have on the show, and most of all, we thank you for your generous support, and remember, support the artists who are guests on the show. Now back to the podcast. Hey Jeannie, I really want to talk about the first song our audience heard called Remote Control. Tell me how that came about. Okay, so this current band that I'm in is called My Little Eye, and I hadn't been playing. I, I, I was in a band that imploded, and I immediately wanted to start another band, and I just put an ad on Craigslist, and my guitarist, Mark Yoshiyama, answered the ad, and he writes all the music for My Little Eye, and he'll just send me the music, and it's sort of whatever vibe it inspires different feelings and different lyrics. So I wrote the lyrics to remote control after watching two documentaries about a cult called the Nexium cult. Did you see any of those documentaries? Okay. There's one on HBO. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, I had, the, there was like a very young teenage girl who was indoctrinated into the cult and I mm. called my sister and I said, did you see this documentary? It's so horrible. This man took advantage of these girls and I would never fall for that. And she said, me neither. But think about if we were her age. And I was like thinking back to how I just believed everything anybody told me when sure. I was, she was 19, I think. And I was like, right. yeah, I totally would have fallen for it when I was 19. And yeah. I sort of embodied that girl's point of view when I wrote the lyrics and okay. I could see in the documentary that she was still torn. Her mother had got her out of the cult, but it seemed like she was still in love with this person who had done horrible things to her, including branding his initials onto her. And Horrible. so oh my God. when I was writing the lyrics, one of the lyrics is, um, can, can we get around this branding issue if we just burn your initials straight into my soul? Because it's like when you're influenced by somebody that young, 
it changes your way of thinking and it's really hard to get your sense of self back. So yeah. I just found it very easy to embody her emotions. The, the, the lyrics, if you can hear them are torn, you know, they're, they're not really adamantly against him. The first line is right. you never told me my time's up because of the time's up movement. And she's yeah, sure. just like, he was arrested and his her love was taken away to jail before she wow. was able to process everything. <laughs> wow, interesting. You know what I find interesting as well is, is as a, as a songwriter, when you get out of the first person of your own experiences and then can uh, put yourself in that third person and write through their perspective and their eyes, I think that's 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 a very good development place to go um, with your music and, and kind of opens up the door for a lot of things. Yeah. So there's that yin and yang of being imprisoned and yet still adoring maybe the good that they saw in this horrible cult leader, you yeah. know, and, and how old impressions become part of us and how, to, how do you break away from that? It's, it's um, uh, a mystery, you know, uh, and it opens up to all the dangerous manipulative, manipulative, characters that are out in the world that we have to keep one eye out for and talk about one eye, right. Uh, <laughs> to, to go into, into that direction. But that's, that's, that's what I think is great, particularly, I mean, there are artists that really work, particularly I think some of the younger artists, they're really into the, the first person, Mimi, uh, this is my situation. I broke up with you type of music. And then you can see that morphing um, as we, we go on in life uh, to, um, have empathy through a person and just through a documentary. Yeah. And I don't mean just a documentary, you know, something that struck you. Well, yeah. It's one of my favorite things to do is in my imagination, Mm. embody somebody else's point of view. And I noticed in my little eye, I keep seeming to write songs that are just like about another person. We have a song called Louise written about my aunt. We have a song called Mm -hmm. Carlos. That's totally fictional about, a guy getting out of jail and thinking about running away from his probation officer, like just leaving the country and his pen pal slash girlfriend saying, Carlos, it's not going to be better there. Wherever you go, your troubles go with you, you know? Right. Right. That's, (laughs) that's great. So when, um, when you write, um, and I ask this question often, the lyrics come first, the music comes first. Do you are you a, a solo practitioner, meaning you put it all together? Do you go collaborating? What's your process today? My process has always been the same. I find it feels mm. really different in my brain to write music than to write lyrics, um, which is why I have both the band and a solo project. For my solo okay. project, I will write the music first. And then I'll wait until I completely forgot what I wrote before I listen to it to try to write the lyrics. Cause my mind is just working a different way. When I write lyrics with my okay. little eye, Mark writes all the music and sends it to me. And then I'm just free. I feel freer. Like, Oh, now I can just do what comes easiest to me, make up a story, sure. you know? Oh, that's great. Yeah. So it's, and, and I noticed that in, in the short bio you sent me, you like storytelling. I love and I it. I think that that is that is the key to so many things. And I, I maybe I get accused of this. I find as as I'm getting older, uh, and I'm, I'm 
it's easier for me to relate to people through my experiences. And let me tell you a story about something that happened to me here, you know, and I don't know, maybe I just find it interesting, but I find it, it gives you a good platform uh, to open up examples of shared experiences. Yeah. Anecdotal is always better than dogmatism, right? Like if you're on your soapbox. (laughs) Right. And you know what? It's too easy, at least, you know, decades ago for me, it was too easy to be Johnny on the spot to jump on my soapbox, you know, wagging my finger to, to now settle back and say, let me take it in and repeat back what I'm hearing from you. Cause what they're saying and what you're hearing can, as we know, be two different things, especially in text. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh my God. Right. And you know, it's so bizarre is, you know, I have nieces and nephews and I'm like, I'm think I just thought about this this morning. When's the last time I heard their voice? It's been months because I I see text <laughs> and that kind of drives me nuts. So um, I guess I'm guilty. I should pick up the phone if they answer it. They don't answer it. They never answer the phone. It just does. It just doesn't. If happen. they don't answer, you're off the hook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So now the next thing is knocking on their door, and I think there's a song. If you don't pick up the phone, I'm knocking on your door. I'm going to let you have that little piece of muse. You can work on it. <laughs> Why? Thank you. <laughs> See, the difference between you and I is I have a thousand muses that I've never acted on. And that's why I'm so enamored by singer-songwriters because I'm like, you have the patience to freaking work through it. <laughs> and I really admire. I really do. Do I really you admire play music? music? Yeah. So you see that in my – people oh, can't yeah. see it, but I have guitars there. So, yeah, I, I play guitar. I was uh, self-taught. And uh, then I struggled with, you know what, I want to know what the notes are on the neck. Uh, I actually have a bass because when I was in a church group, they were like, I'm not the greatest player. <laughs> they were like, hey, think about, we need some bottom in this music. How about you playing the bass? And I'm like, took it two different ways. I'm like, is it because I'm a lousy guitarist or <laughs> they really need it? Probably probably a little bit of both. But um, as I look on the wall, I got, I got to dust them off and play them more. Just making the time, you know, like uh-huh. it, like anything else. So, um yeah, so that's that. <laughs> so um, let's talk about, all right, so now let's talk about the next song that you brought to the table, Land of Plenty. Give us a little bit of background on that, and then we'll have uh, the audience uh, have a listen to it. Okay, that one is about, I just got really sad seeing our country being divided into the two parties, Republican and Democrat. and sure. So even within my own family, there's both sides. And Mm. um, a cousin who was always so kind to me started acting very aggressively, sending me mean messages on Facebook. And I was talking to my siblings and I was like, is this cousin doing this to you? And they're like, just block them. I'm like, (laughs) I would like to try to, you know, understand him or his, He seemed so kind-hearted as a person and his actions. He would make sandwiches and hand them out to the homeless, but then he would be Mm -hmm. cruel to me, his own cousin. And eventually I did block him because I was like, I don't, I'm never mean to anybody. And I, you know, I don't deserve this, but it doesn't make sense that it's an abstract thing that's causing him to behave this way. Like uh, mm. he just chose one side and I'm on the other side. If, he, if right. you just met him as a stranger and you never asked that question, 
you would think, what a lovely person, you know? Right, right. Yeah, it's, ama- it's amazing what is, and I agree with you a thousand percent, what's bubbled to the top in that my instinctual mode has been same, block them, you know? And then in retrospect, you're thinking to yourself like, well, I'm actually not helping it by isolating. Um, if they're handling me as other to whatever degree and I reciprocate with that, it's not going in a really good, it's not really going in a good direction. Right. You know? Um, and this is going to be sound really weird, but I had uh, my, my late grandmother um, was an interesting lady, tough, tough lady in, in a lot of grades, very bigoted, very tough. Right. And when she went into the home and we'd visit her and my wife was really generous with helping support her and cajoling me to say, Hey, you know, we got to go see your grandma and stuff like that. And what we ended up doing is instead of spiraling down the rabbit hole of bigotry and negativity, we changed the subject and we, and we were purposeful about that to a point of, we started enjoying each other's company and reminiscing about stuff like that. It still existed. I don't think I was in a position to convert or change her mind. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the answer. Not the position to convert, but maybe in the position to say, hey, we're just two people or two humans. And if we were strangers, how would we treat, treat each other? I think that's the answer. Um, and personally, you know, here I'm on my soapbox a little bit. That's where I think music can kind of heal that in that I have no idea what you're political background and I'm, I'm, I'm not interested to ask you that and, and vice versa but if we meet on common ground and realize we're all sisters and brothers to a certain degree and we both hey, love music <laughs> yeah yeah that's the common ground and that that's a that's a great that's a great starting point and I think that's a great way to heal community I think the quarantine had um, two sides of the coin one one side of the coin is we're all isolated and getting fed you know horrible things and turning inwards Creative people were very creative during COVID and quarantine. And once we got through the depression of being isolated and now we're back in the world and we have to find ways of reconnecting with each other and kind of tamping down uh, the rhetoric. Um, yeah. To what degree that we, the song you know. is about sort of ignoring the rhetoric or at least turning off your television and not listening to it, getting crammed on your throat and just, sort of starting it's about like burning down the two system party and starting over as people not being labeled correct all right so why don't we do this let's let the audience listen to land of plenty and we'll be right back after the song check it out Here we go, here we go. 
Hey, everybody. We're back. I really appreciated A Land of Plenty. There's so much to take from it. Hey, in between the break, uh, Jeannie and I were talking about social media and getting exposure of this podcast and art out there and some of the tricks and tips that we're talking about. So I'll get my side out of it first. Uh, so what we ha- what you'll see in the chapter marks is, first of all, we have a listener line, and I encourage everyone to call this and give us your comments and feedback and suggestions at 631-800-3579. You can leave a, ve- a voice message, and uh, if you allow us to use it, we, we share it with the artists. We'll use it for some testimonials. It's been really great. Uh, also, uh, I have my own YouTube channel. Jeannie has a YouTube channel as well. You're going to see a link tree uh, link in the chapter marks right here. So take a look down on your phone and you'll get to all of Jeannie Fry's different links to see her other projects or YouTube channel. I'm telling you, this is the land of creatives and we do a lot of projects. So we'd love you to help support our artists and please subscribe, rate both this program and subscribe to the YouTube channel, both for the Long Island Sound podcast and for Jeannie Fry's projects. How was that? Was that a good plug, Jeannie? That was great. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. You know, I'm I'm so humble and yet I'm so good at this. It's a struggle. How do you do it? I don't know. (laughs) 
sometimes I feel like my head's going to explode. But then I'm married and my wife brings me down to earth. So that's, you know, I got that. <laughs> that's what wives are for. Yeah, that's a bonus. Yeah, knock you down a few pegs so you can walk your head through the door. You. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, listen, on a serious note, it, I really... I really liked our conversation about healing and music and, and uh, you know, the divide we have in this country that seems to be an ongoing theme in every episode that I do. And, and I thank you for your art to, uh, to do, uh, to do what you do. You know, it's, it's really neat. So as an aside, believe it or not. And, you know, so uh, I'm at the uh, back nine of my life, as they say, and uh, <laughs> told my wife, yeah, I do some TikTok. You know, you're not on TikTok. Right? Yeah, yeah, I do TikTok videos. Oh, my Oh my God. You're not dancing, are you? No, I'm not dancing. I throw little videos up. And it just so happens, Jeannie, you found me on TikTok, right? Yes. I also am no expert on TikTok, but my boyfriend makes fun of me and says, don't worry, I'll pay the rent while you're TikToking. <laughs> and I don't even know of TikToking. I mean, is TikTok a verb? Do other people say that? It makes me laugh every time. <laughs> yes, I don't know. Do you remember what TikTok I produced that you that you said? Oh, this guy sounds interesting. Do you remember which one it was? Um, I know it was your face. You were just talking, and I was like, "Oh, what is this podcast? It sounds like something I should have heard of already." But you say you're relatively new at this. When did you start? Yeah, so I started back in January uh, of this past year. And uh, man, I, <laughs> there's always what, what's great about this is so much to learn. And, uh, and yeah, I just get exposed to a really great, wonderful people. So, um, so in, in learning about how to, as we all are in the weeds with our art, how do you get exposure out to it? You know, one of the lessons was, Hey, you got to do a TikTok, And I'm like, all right, I can, I done things on screen. I'm not a shy guy. So I videotaped a few things. I'd be out on the boat and like crack out the iPhone and, uh, and do a few takes and, uh, and plug it into TikTok. I use Canva. And uh, it works. And it worked. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. You're, you're living, you're living proof. So, uh, I'm going to jump right back into a TikTok every hour. No, <laughs> The thing is consistency and exposure. And from what I understand about TikTok is it can't be too polished. You know, it's got, it's got to be just pretty natural. So um, I'll work on my natural ability as, as we move forward. So uh, to reinforce the theme of this segment is please go to the chapter marks, check out Jeannie Fry's links. Uh, we're both going to have our link tree uh, links up there. So it's one spot to jump to and you could see our YouTube channels and all the different social media that you can check things out and ways to contact us. Uh, so you never know what kind of collaboration will come out like this collaboration right here to further expose the art. And it's been a, a real pleasure. I really got to, I got to, I got to interview more punk people. Cause I gotta, I, I can't figure people out. I mean, you're just, <laughs> you're just different. I don't know. How can you keep the, I have a whole of friends I'll send your way. <laughs> great, great, great. I'll just have to, uh, yeah not have caffeine when I do the interview. Cause like, you know, <laughs> the energy level, you know, the wave, the waves. Okay. See the wave coming All right now. I need to take a nap and get my energy back. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's, let's talk about the last song that you brought to the table for me. Now this is, this is what your independent song you were saying. Yes. I also, um, I started, almost 15 years ago, a solo project called Embarazada. 
Embarazada is a Spanish word that means pregnant. Okay. And it gets a lot of hits just because a lot of people from Mexico and South America are looking for music to play for their kids. And it's Embarazada music on a lot of um, like YouTube, I mean, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. But uh, actually what I meant was like, I felt pregnant with ideas, like creative ideas. Like I was giving birth to songs right and left. And nice. I was like, I just love the way it looks, the way it's spelt with all the A's and Barazada. And my drummer from my little eye, we got offered a show that the guitar player couldn't make. And he said, well, why don't we just play your solo stuff? And my first reaction was, no, I wrote all that on the computer. There's no way to to reproduce it live. Hmm. But then I remembered I had played some of those songs live in a previous band called Arrow that I was in, where half the songs were mine and half the songs were the girl that played bass. So I instantly thought of that and I called the guitar player from Arrow and he was up for it. I found my friend Linnea from, um, I was in a band called The Happy Ending with her and she agreed to play bass. So so now we're, I'm doing both. Whenever my little eye can't accept a show, Embarazada will play it. Or if it seems more like a, a lower key vibe, Embarazada is lower key. Nice. That's you know it's, <laughs> it, it, that's great to have those different uh, things to to pull out of your bag of tricks, so to speak. You know, especially when you go. Yeah, they feel really different. To yeah, me. <laughs> it, it kind of opens you up to more gigs and that sort of thing. You know, as far as hey, you know what, this is going to be a right fit for that because I found that. The venue operators that I talk to is like, they want to know what's, what are you bringing to the table? You know, what, what kind of audience are you going to attract? Cause it all comes down to marketing. You know, they want to make a buck off of what, what you're bringing to the table and to have that extra tool in your tool, tool belt is, is kind of a cool thing. So why don't we do this? Why don't we let our, now it's called, uh, we didn't even mention the name of the song, Avoid Dance. Tell me about the title. Cause that, of course I'm an idiot and I didn't get it right away, but. <laughs> Well, a lot of people don't get it, although there are a lot of songs on Spotify called exactly that. So I'm sure I wasn't the first to think of it, but I had been writing for the band and I hadn't written anything for Embarazada in a long time. And I felt myself avoiding it. So I was like, oh, avoid, I'm just going to title it avoidance. At first, I just wrote it as the word avoidance. And then I was like, this one's kind of dancey. I think I'm going to do a little play on words and call it avoid dance. (laughs) Wonderful. Oh, that's great. All right. So let's take a listen to a void dance. And we'll be right back after the song. Check it out, everybody.
Hey, everybody, we're back with Jeannie Fry. Great song, really upbeat, electronic aspect to it. Uh, so, Jeannie, tell me, what, what do you got going on now? Tell, I, I remember reading your bio about uh, writing music for some, uh, some show. So tell me a bit about that and then what you've got coming up in December. Okie dokie. Um, yes, I wrote all the music for a play by playwright Nina Morrison. Um, one song, my friend Daniel Lieberman wrote the music and I wrote the lyrics, the rest of them, I wrote all the music and co-wrote the lyrics with Nina Morrison. And she's sort of, in my opinion, an avant-garde playwright. And this particular play is called Hearts on Fire. It's not in production yet, but we hope maybe something will happen in 2023. Um, and the songs are... The storyline is about sort of a hidden, forbidden love. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, so we'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right, but you got to promise me if that show goes into production or when it goes into production that you come back on this podcast. Maybe we get Nina as well, and let's talk about it because I'd love, I'd love I to really love explore. To. Yeah, the, I'd love to explore the theater side of the music, which I've yet to do on the podcast, but it's on my bucket list. So. Anyway, deal. sorry to interrupt. What? All right, deal. <laughs> what do you? You have something in December coming up as well. Yes, we have. If people see this in time, a free show on December third at a bar in Brooklyn called Young Ethel's. Um, it's on Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, and there's three bands. The first band is called Pass the Poi. The second band is called Killdeer. That's an all-female band. And then my little eye is going on around 10 p.m. And nice. it's free, so, so you might as well come. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we're going to have that in the chapter marks. This is the show is definitely, I promise you, will get broadcast out uh, before December 3rd to give people enough time to react and go to the show. And you know what? Free shows. You're you're rounding out the end of the show, so you're probably the best band in the whole group, I would think. Because they always leave the best to last. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, it's also hey, well, three days away from my birthday, so we're calling it the birthday show. <laughs> nice. So, so your birthday is on December 6th. Yeah. All right. I'll put that in my, I'll put that in my calendar and wish you a happy birthday. Thank hey, you. Jeannie, I, I got to tell you, I really enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed our conversation and, and what we were able to discover about your background and your music and how you approach things. I think uh, it's going to help a lot of people in the audience 
And uh, I always have my podcast many, many times, not always, but in this way, you know, we know what uh, we can account for what we have in our bank and what we own. We can't account for the time we have on this earth. And the fact that you've given me your time is real, is a real blessing. Thank uh, you. So, uh, so until next time, everybody, please check out Jeannie Fry. You'll see all of her uh, website links and her link tree in the chapter marks. I encourage you, I encourage you to go to her YouTube channel where you can discover her different projects. Go see her out on December 3rd. You'll have a link in for that bar to go see some free music. So, hey, what's better than free? And uh, until next time, be well, everybody. Take Thanks care. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate the time you spent with us. Please subscribe and comment and visit us at gigdestiny.com. Until next time, be generous with your joy, keep your spirits high, and let the music take you on a journey. Be well. Peace. Thanks so much for listening. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. We really love to hear from you. And call our listener line at 631-800-3579. Again, thanks so much. Be well.